You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. so good to be here and worship with you today. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, we're grateful that you're part of our family today, and this is a great place to learn about the hope and healing and wholeness that Jesus offers. So thank you. We're in the series on Jonah, and our scripture today is Jonah 3, and I encourage you to read this together along with me. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city and declare against it the proclamation that I am commanding you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's word. Now Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, a three days walk across. Jonah started into the city walking one day and he cried out, just 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes from the greatest of them to the least significant. When word of it reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, stripped himself of his robe, covered himself with mourning clothes, and sat in ashes. Then he announced, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his officials, neither human nor animal, cattle nor flock will taste anything, no grazing and no drinking water. Let humans and animals alike put on mourning clothes, and let them call upon God forcefully, and let all persons stop their evil behavior and the violence that's under their control. He thought, who knows, God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. God saw what they were doing, that they had ceased their evil behavior. So God stopped planning to destroy them, and he didn't do it. You know, Jonah is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Most of us have heard of Jonah and the whale, and the kind of kid's abridged version where Jonah gets swallowed by a whale, and three days later he gets spit back up. But as we're learning in this series, there's a lot more going on here, a whole lot more. So far, we've heard that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, a city that was notorious for its evil and its violence, even in an empire that was known for evil and violence of the worst kind. We've heard that Jonah really didn't want to do that, and so he fled a long distance, a really long distance, to avoid God's call. Let's take a minute and look at the map. Jonah starts out in Joppa, and Nineveh, where God wants him to go, is only about 550 miles away. Now, I say only in comparison to the distance he tries to go. 550 miles is a long way to go, especially when you have to walk it, though. It's kind of like walking to Kansas City or Toronto or Green Bay or Myrtle Beach. Technically, most things are within walking distance. It can be done, but it's quite a trek. But Jonah decides to try to go almost five times that far to Tarshish. And sure, traveling on a boat is easier than walking, right? Well, normally it would be, but not when you're Jonah. 
Jonah gets on this ship that's headed for Tarshish too. And as scripture tells us, he does this to flee from the Lord. And God sends a huge storm that terrifies the sailors. Jonah tells them, hey guys, this is my fault. You all need to toss me into the sea. And they finally grudgingly do that only after they pray to God, the God, not just any old God, the Lord, not the gods that they've been praying to, the God. They acknowledge, too, that God can do anything. They ask for forgiveness. They toss Jonah into the sea, and the sea calms immediately. And God provides a great fish to swallow Jonah. Pastor Brian pointed this out last week, and I love it. I'm not sure I ever really caught this part before. Jonah, excuse me, God provides a great fish for Jonah. He appoints a fish. He assigns it. It wasn't just any old random big fish that was swimming around looking for a snack either. It was a fish that God provided. God's looking out for Jonah, and he's getting Jonah back on track. Now, Jonah spends three days and three nights in the fish's belly. He prays to God from the fish's belly, and then the fish spits Jonah up onto dry land. The fish spits him up, and in our passage today, Jonah finally does what God has told him to do. And he does it cheerfully, right? (laughs) Hardly. I love the beginning of our passage today. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Now, how we read that makes a really big difference, I think. We could read it in a very straightforward way. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. We could put a little emphasis in there. And the Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. We could read it a little tongue-in-cheek if we want to. And the Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. We could even be a little snarky and sarcastic if we want. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Might as well enjoy it, right? After all, these stories were told aloud for a very long time before they were written down, and and how we say them has an impact. So, the Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. And of course, the word is nearly identical to the first time God said it. He said, get up and go to that great city, Nineveh, and declare against it the proclamation that I'm commanding you. Except, this time, Jonah's response is different. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's word. Now, this transition is immediate this time, by the way. The last verse of the previous chapter has said, Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The beginning of chapter 3, our chapter today, says the Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city. Declare against it the proclamation that I'm commanding you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's word. Did you hear that? Jonah got up and went. He had just been spit up onto dry land. God spoke to him a second time, and he got up and he went. Now, does he do it joyfully? Does he even do it with a kind of, okay, I guess I've learned my lesson this time kind of attitude? No. Does he even do it well? No, he does not. Scripture tells us this. Now Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, a three days walk across. Jonah started into the city, walking one day, and he cried out, just 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, given that people can generally walk about 20 miles a day, that means that Nineveh, as Susan pointed out in the children's message, was about 60 miles across. So it really was massive. And Jonah doesn't even walk to the center of the city. He only walks a little way in, about a day's worth, about 20 miles. And 
maybe that was far enough. Maybe he had enough. Maybe he thought, okay, surely this counts. We don't really know. We do know this, though, that he says just this, and he says it only once, just 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. He doesn't say by whom. He doesn't even say why. He really doesn't elaborate at all. He just says, just 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. Can't you just picture him kind of stubbing his foot, pouty face, defiant, saying, okay, God, I did what you told me to. Are you happy now? I think it's so funny. And what would we expect to happen next, especially considering where he was? Sure, we think people are probably going to think he's kind of crazy. That's what we would think probably if he showed up here and did that, right? They might ignore him. They might give him a pretty wide berth as they walked around him. We might even think that they would perhaps do him harm, maybe try to injure him or threaten him in some way. But no, that's not what happened at all. The Bible tells us this. The people of Nineveh believed God. Now notice, they don't say that, the Bible doesn't say that they believed Jonah. It says they believed God. And Jonah hasn't even said that the message comes from God. But they knew who it was from. They knew, didn't they? This is another place in the story where the next thing happens immediately, too. Jonah says, just 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. And in the very next sentence, it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. The people of Nineveh recognize it as a message from God, as a warning from God, and they believe it. They proclaimed a fast and they put on mourning clothes, and the greatest of them, from the least, were involved in that. And then the king joins in. Scripture tells us this, when the word of it reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, stripped himself of his robe, covered himself with mourning clothes, and sat in ashes. Then he announced, in Nineveh, by decree of the king and his officials, neither human nor animal, cattle nor flock will taste anything, no grazing and no drinking water. Let humans and animals alike put on mourning clothes and let them call upon God forcefully. And let all persons stop their evil behavior and the violence that's under their control. Now, notice that the first thing the king does is humble himself. He doesn't start out with the proclamations. He doesn't start out with, oh my goodness, people, we've got to get our act together. He humbles himself first. He joins in the mourning that's happening throughout the city. It's only after that that he makes his proclamation. I want you to notice this too. The king makes his pronouncements in threes. There's three negative ones, the things that they're not to do. And there's three positive ones, the things that they are to do. Now, remember last week when Pastor Brian talked about numbers making a big deal in the Bible. This is one of those cases. Um, It's one of those numbers uh, is three. There's a lot of other numbers, seven, and some other numbers are very important too, 12. But three is a very important number in the Bible. And when you see that, you know that something big is about to happen. And it's already happened once before in this book, hasn't it? So the king makes his pronouncements, three negative and three positive, and then we see the hope that he has. The king says this, who knows, God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. If we turn away from our evil and violence, maybe God will turn from his wrath. Maybe if we turn, God will turn. That's exactly what happened too. God saw what they were doing, that they had ceased their evil behavior. So God stopped planning to destroy them And he didn't do it. This is great stuff, isn't it? Do you see why it's one of my favorite books in the Bible? 
So there are some lessons in here for us too. What are they? There's actually several, and I think one of them is echoed in Colossians 3.23, which we just heard in the children's message. Whatever you do, do it from the heart for the Lord and not for people. That means that we should always obey with the single motivation of honoring and trusting God. Do everything that we do in a way that honors God. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. Do everything in a way that honors God. And this same message is actually found several places throughout the Bible, too, especially in the New Testament, in um, Matthew and 1 Corinthians and 1 Peter. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're not even doing it for others. We're doing it for God. Another important lesson from this passage, God persists. God perseveres even when we resist. God doesn't give up on us. God is faithful, and God continues to work on us, sometimes in ways that we could not have anticipated. Thank goodness, right? Another lesson, God responds. God responded to Jonah, and God responded to the Ninevites, even to the Ninevites. Even though Jonah, God's messenger, didn't want them to, the Ninevites called upon God forcefully. I love that, by the way. They called upon God forcefully. And God responded. God responds, even when it's not on our timeline or when it looks different than we might think it would. God responds. Another lesson, the key to faithfulness is responsiveness. I have a question for you. How can we say that we're faithful if we don't respond? This message is found all throughout scripture as well. The key to faithfulness is responsiveness. Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, they all learned this, and Jonah, he learned it as well. If we claim God as truth, if we proclaim Jesus as Lord, if we claim to be faithful, then we have to respond. Another lesson, God is merciful. God's salvation is for everyone. Jonah knows that God is merciful too, but he wants God's mercy to be limited. How about us? Do we really want everyone to know Jesus? Do we believe that there is hope for everyone and that God doesn't give up on anyone? Reaching everyone isn't just something we should want to do. It's what God calls us to do. It's part of Jesus' command to us. I'll return to that in just a minute. Another lesson, don't fear. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us that Jonah was afraid, but I know that fear can be a barrier sometimes for us when we feel like God might be calling us to do something. Now, interestingly, the Herald Leader columnist Paul Prather had something to say about this just a few days ago. If you're not familiar with them, Paul Prather is a pastor who also writes a weekly column in our local paper, and he's done this for years. This week, his article is titled, The Bible's Most Frequently Repeated Commandment Isn't What You Think. Now, How many of you know what commandment he's referring to? Any guesses? It's not don't kill. It's not hmm, honor your father and mother. The one that is referred to and repeated the most often in the Bible is don't be afraid. It's not just in the Bible. It's a command in the Bible over and over again throughout the entire scripture. Don't be afraid don't fear. 
Now, Paul Prather's article is pretty interesting, and he closes it with this. And remember, he's writing to an audience that's mostly secular. He says this, I think what those ancient scribes, prophets, and apostles were telling us is, don't be cowed, don't quit, don't despair, instead stand firm. Choose faith, choose joy, choose optimism. Be a blessing to others and not a drain on their psyches. They tell us this over and over in all manner of ways, hoping we'll eventually get the message. They're saying that every reason for fear is also an opportunity for faith. Don't be cowed. Don't quit. Don't despair. Stand firm. Choose faith. Choose joy. Be a blessing to others. And every reason for fear is also an opportunity for faith. Don't fear. Another lesson, and for me, this one ties especially closely with the previous two. It's the one I referred to a minute ago. Trust God. I learned this in a very personal way when I was exploring my call to be a pastor. Some of you have heard my story, and I won't go into the whole story right now, but a very important part of it, a turning point actually, was my encounter with the Great Commission. You may be familiar with what we call the Great Commission. It's Jesus' last conversation with his disciples after his resurrection. It's found at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It goes like this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. I was studying this passage, and I was drawn to also read it in the message paraphrase. And I found something very interesting. It struck me in a very special way when I did that. Hear this. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. That verse had never stood out to me like that before, and it reached me and it touched me in a very significant way. Now, some of the disciples weren't sure about honoring God totally and completely and with their whole lives, and Jesus was undeterred by this. He went right ahead and gave his charge, and he gave this assurance too. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. That spoke very deeply to me, and it was a fresh revelation of Scripture to me. I was holding back, and that wasn't deterring Jesus in the least. He went right ahead with his call on my life, and he promised to be with me. My role was to trust him and answer his call. I did, and I still do. So for a short chapter in a short book, Jonah 3 has some very important lessons for us, I think. Do everything for the Lord. 
God persists, God responds, our faithfulness requires our responsiveness, God's salvation is for everyone, everyone. Don't fear, trust God. God had planned to overthrow Nineveh, and he actually does overthrow it, just not in the way that Jonah wanted him to and not in the way we thought he might. God overthrew it with repentance, not through destruction. God did overthrow Nineveh. He overthrew it through repentance. Does that make us glad? Hopefully. Do we believe it can happen now? Or is there a little bit of Jonah in each of us? Perhaps a little bit of grudging reluctance. Do we really believe that God can do anything, anytime, in any way, in any way that he wants to? Do we believe that? Do we want him to? Do we act like it? This is God's call for us, to help everyone, everyone know the hope and the healing and the wholeness that comes through a transformed life in Jesus Christ. And remember, God is always with us. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, we do love you, Lord. We thank you, God, for your call. We thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you, God, for in every way meeting us where we are and never giving up on us. God, help us to trust you. Help us to respond to your call. Help us to believe and to trust. And God, we know that we have no reason to fear. We know that you command us to not fear. And Lord, we lift up everything we have and everything we are as you speak to us.